You can open up your Bibles to the uh, little book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. The message is titled, Came to Save Sinners. And we're starting a new series this morning called Words to Live By. Now, I enjoy interacting. If you're the type that is awkward, just duck a little bit, and that way I won't call on you or anything. But I've got uh, some things I'm going to go through, and, and I, you, know, you can just kind of raise your hand and be part of it. Like I said, if, if you're squeamish, just, just duck a little bit. I won't call you out or nothing. But here's the deal. Studies have shown that you hear an awful lot of words every day. And I'm wondering, anybody kind of good with numbers and have any kind of a guess? Let's throw out a few. How many words on average do you think you hear in an average day? Now, now if you've got your smartphone, don't look it up on Google, okay? Throw out a few guesses. How many words do you think you hear in a day? 300,000, okay. 5,000. Boy, we've got a range now. Okay, what, what are some other guesses? Zero, I don't listen. <laughs> How many do you think you hear in a day? Some more numbers. 100,000, okay. Any others? 78,312. 78, I've got a $20 bill for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, they, they think on average somewhere between 20 and 30,000 words per day you will hear. Uh, whether you listen to them or not, I guess that's a different story. Uh, that's a childhood friend, David Hurst. Thank you for being here, brother. So if you take that out over a lifetime, different people have uh, estimated how many words do you hear over the course of a lifetime? And given that the lifespan in the United States of America is uh, creeping up there a little over 85 years now, that would mean that you would hear over a billion words in your lifetime. One billion words. Now, that is a lot of words. And, and you add to that the fact that there are numerous companies that want to convince you with their own words that you absolutely need their product or their service to be happy or to make it or to get a girlfriend or whatever it is. So here are some company slogans. They're, they're, they're promises, if you will. And I want to see if you can guess which company claims to be able to do this for you. Here's one of them. This company claims that their website will let you find and discover anything you want to buy online. Who's that? Amazon. That's right. Now, I, I don't know that I've tested that out. Like, I mean, could you buy, I don't know, like a casket on there? Or I don't know. I mean, it, you know, we should test that out. But here's another bold claim. This company claims to give you the power to share. Facebook, that's right, that's Facebook. I'm sorry, I don't know which Andrew said that, but one of you did, so. Oh, back, back, okay, somebody said, yeah, you got it, good, that's Facebook. Here's another, this one was uh, a little harder for me. This network promises to enrich your life. Close, uh, it, this one is BBC. The, uh, BBC says, you watch us, we promise we will enrich your life. I don't know, if you like British television, you're, you're good. If not, uh, <laughs> How about, here's another company that says, we will produce the world's highest form of entertainment. Disney. That is Disney. That's right. That's right. A, a, a Disney fan. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would go with that. This is uh, one of, to me, the, the just boldest. This company promises to fulfill your curiosity. Discovery? Not Discovery. Not YouTube, though. That's a good guess. 
National Geographic. I like that guess. No, this is Sony. Sony promises to fulfill your curiosity. Two more. Uh, This is a software company that makes the outlandish claim to enable people and businesses throughout the world to realize their full potential. It's Microsoft. I heard that from somewhere here. Microsoft, that's right. Microsoft promises. Now, I I have a computer at work that's a Microsoft product running on Windows, and it does not fulfill my potential. (laughs) Um, And then here was perhaps the funniest. This company promises to refresh the world and inspire moments of optimism and happiness. (laughs) Not Instagram. (laughs) To refresh the world and inspire optimism and uh, moments of happiness. You're on the right. Yes, it is Coca-Cola. Now, I like a good Coke, but I don't know that I have been inspired to moments of happiness and optimism by a good Coca-Cola. So the point is, right, this is advertising. It's, it's above and beyond. I mean, you just drink a Coke, you'll be happy no matter what. You know, I beg to differ. But the, the Bible makes other kinds of outlandish promises, but the Bible delivers. God has so given us the words here that these are indeed words we can live by. And, and I would uh, say that the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, points to one man. He's actually the God-man, Jesus the Christ. Everything Genesis to Malachi leads up to him. Then we've got four books giving us perspectives on his life. And everything afterwards is a reflection of the impact Jesus Christ makes on this world until he comes again. Now, that said, when Jesus rises from the dead, he gives one clear command to his church, and that is to go and make disciples. That would make us then have a great discussion if we were in a Bible study, Jeff, about what is a disciple. And and I, I think this would be a joy to spend time just digging into the New Testament to find out, okay, what what does the Bible say it means to be a follower of Christ? Well here's what I think you would find. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who trusts Jesus, who learns about God from the Bible, who grows in holiness, and who serves others. So in short, a disciple is a follower of Jesus who trusts, learns, grows, and serves. Now, if you think about your own walk for a minute and just take a step back, each of us has ways that we like to learn. Uh, Some of you know that outside of being a pastor, I'm a civil engineer. And so I'm a very analytical type. I love books. Libraries are a happy place for me. Uh, You may think, oh, please don't. You know, that that may not be your cup of tea at all. Some of you may be hands-on learners. You know, if if you are given, say, a situation with a car that's not working, you just start taking stuff apart, and then it becomes clear the problem. If I just start taking stuff apart, it's not going to get back together. I just break it, you know. Uh, but, but some of you are hands-on learners. That's how you connect. You've got to be doing something. Some of you are relational learners. You so enjoy being around others and, and bouncing ideas off one another. And some of you are the kind of out-of-the-box, dynamic, leader-style learners who you're always thinking about what's next, and, and you're very dynamic. And the point is, Each of us, whether it's 
trusting or learning or growing or serving. We have one of these that we gravitate towards. If you're like me, you love learning about God from the Bible, and that's a wonderful thing. But you may need some help to grow in Christ-like character, some help to, to really love and serve others. And that's why Jesus didn't just call individuals. He calls individuals to become a church together. And church is then where we not only follow Jesus, but we help one another follow Jesus. So if a disciple trusts, learns, grows, and serves, a helper is somebody who loves someone so that they can indeed trust Jesus, is someone who teaches about God from the Bible so there can be learning, somebody who models the Christian life so that we have a, an example to follow, and then somebody who coaches another Christian in what it means to serve. A disciple trusts, learns, grows, and serves. A helper loves, teaches, models, and coaches. This series that we're going to start is five different sayings from the Apostle Paul. He is talking most of the time to a young mentee of his named Timothy, but he also talks with another young pastor named Titus. And to each of these, he'll boil down the most important things at times to say, here is a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance. Five times. Here is a trustworthy saying. Here's a trustworthy saying. Here's a trustworthy saying. I think he wants Timothy and Titus to live by these words. And so uh, I invite you to look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 12, but first we're going to ask God to give us ears to hear. Lord Jesus, here we are before you. We cannot get exactly what you want for us apart from your aid. So Holy Spirit, I ask please that you use this to the honor and glory of the name of Jesus and to our blessing. Show us that yours is the way to be forever happy. I ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Look back at verse 15 again. It begins, the saying is trustworthy 
and deserving of full acceptance. This is why I'm calling the series Words to Live By. They're not just words that Paul wanted Timothy, say, to uh, have maybe in his mind memorized, though I think that was implied. They're not just words that he wanted maybe Timothy to do the uh, ancient version of a t-shirt, you know, to to wear or a bumper sticker, though whatever that version is, maybe a cloth on the back of a camel, maybe he had that, I don't know. Uh, But these are words that Paul wanted to so go into Timothy's heart that they would dictate his choices. They would impact the way he decided how to live. And the reason this was important is because apparently there were these two in verse 20, Alexander and Hymenaeus, who had left Christianity. They decided it wasn't worth it. It wasn't real. It wasn't good enough to live by. Now, I don't know what words Alexander and Hymenaeus heard that caused them to leave Christianity. But I think this morning, Paul wants us to slow down and to listen up. You know, with 30,000 words a day, a billion words in our lifetime, it can become very crucial to know which words to say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to hang on to that one, but all this other stuff, no, that's, that's garbage. That's spam. I'm not, I'm not even going to look at it. There's, uh, you know, in our family, we, we watch very uh, high literature movies, most of them by Pixar. And one of the movies is called Wreck-It Ralph that my kids love. And in Wreck-It Ralph, there's this funny scene in which Ralph, a bad guy, is helping out this uh, princess named Vanellope von Schweetz. And they're having to bake her a race car. It's a, a race car baked out of cookie dough. Uh, it sounds like a good race car, right? And so it's a a game they're playing, and there's all these ingredients dropping down, and they have to hit some into the mixing bowl that that would be good to bake a cookie, and others they have to put in the trash. And so if when flour comes down, yes, we need flour, put that in the mixing bowl. But a a fish skeleton, no, you don't need a fish skeleton in a cookie. How about uh, the milk? Yes. Uh, How about the uh, dirty clothes? No. Uh, How about the eggs? Yes. Uh, How about the uh, old garbage? No. And, And that image is, I think, what Paul wants us to get today, uh, the words coming in, say, through the door on, on the side of your head, you got two of them, and, and, and these words, yes, come on in, be part of my heart and life. These words, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to cling to that. Those are not the words. So, so picture that, uh, almost like you got little hinges on the side of your head, and, and it's up to you by the power of God to say, yes, these come on in, and no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to cling to those. Imagine what words caused these two young men, Alexander and Hymenaeus, to turn away from Jesus. What, what would it be for you? Maybe they heard something like this. Um, maybe somebody said to them, why are you praying to Jesus and not to somebody else? There's all kinds of people you could pray to. Maybe somebody challenged and said, don't you think there may be truth in other religions? Maybe late one night, they had this annoying thought they couldn't get out of their head. How do you know you can trust the Bible? Maybe Satan snuck in there and they latched onto these words. Uh, You have sinned so badly that God cannot love you. Maybe they got tripped up as some have with this question. Uh, You want to be saved, but what if you're not one of the elect? 
What if they heard words like, maybe you've committed the unpardonable sin and blasphemed the Holy Spirit to where there is no hope for you? Perhaps they got hung up thinking like this, Jesus was just a man who's dead in Jerusalem. He cannot save anyone. Or maybe it was just those who thought they were doing a kind thing who said, you're, you're too uptight. Just eat and drink and enjoy this life because it's all there is. These are awful, terrifying, satanic words. But they sound so friendly. They, they, I mean, what, what would be the big deal if somebody just threw out some words like this? Well, these are poisonous words. And we need other words to cement in our minds and hearts this morning. So what are they? We'll look back at verse 15. They are these words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a summary statement of the good news. Jesus said almost the same thing. Uh, Matthew 9 records Jesus saying, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You might say, call to what? Well, call to turn from sin and to trust in Jesus for salvation. Mark records Jesus saying this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For, for many who? Well, for many people who are currently enslaved to sin, who need to be rescued. Uh, Luke, remember Jesus saying this one day after he had rescued Zacchaeus. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You might say, lost? Lost where? Where are they lost? Well, they're wandering away from God's good path, aimlessly sinning in the dark. What they need is the light of Jesus to show them the right way. John was perhaps the clearest. He, he gives us this idea that Jesus may have been born of the Virgin Mary, but he did not come to be when Mary gave birth to Jesus because the Father sent him. That's how he came. He is the pre-existent Christ. He is uncreated. And so John summarizes the gospel this way. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Saved? Saved from what? Saved from God's just wrath against us for our sins against him. You see, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. The whole Bible I claimed was about Jesus. Think of it this way. The first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means this is a book primarily not about me, not about you, but about God. This is the revelation of God. And, and it claims that there is this one God who made everything that is from nothing at all just by speaking it into existence. Let there be light. We've tried it with our kids before. I'll say, all right, you try it. Say, let there be light and see if anything happens. And if I'm not watching, one of them will run and flick the light switch. Like, look, I did that. <laughs> uh, not nearly as cool as what God did. Let there be light. And everything God made was good, including mankind. So God and then man, what were we made to do? Well, we were made in God's image. We were made to represent God. 
Jesus will summarize it this way. We're made to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, the sad fact is me, you, I could point at any one of you this morning and know this for 100% fact, have not lived up to that, right? If you were honest, have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength? If you say yes, then I'd say you're a liar and then you got that one to go, right? I mean, there's no way. Have you loved every single neighbor that God has brought into your path as yourself? I haven't. I have fallen short of the purpose for which the creator who owns my life made me. Now, the bad news is the right punishment for falling short that way is not just sweep it under the rug, not just, well, well, maybe if I do enough good deeds, they'll outweigh my bad deeds. No, 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 no. I have sinned against the creator, against the eternal God. A sin against an eternal God merits an eternal punishment. So when Paul comes along and says the wages of sin is death. He's not just saying you'll live maybe 85 years and you'll die. He's saying, no, 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 you will face a judgment. And apart from some intervention, you deserve to be punished forever away from the righteous presence of the Lord, away from that kingdom, away from the blessing. It's a place called hell. It is real. It is terrifying. And it is what every one of us deserve. That's the bad news. God, man, Christ. This is the good news. The good news is God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, we would not perish, but have eternal life. This is good news for sinners that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us. How did he do that? Well, he came and he lived the perfect life. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. He wouldn't even curse the very people who nailed him to a cross where he died for your sins and for mine. And then he really died. He really, after taking our place, when, when we look at the cross, what we see there is that Jesus is taking the wrath of God on himself. He's taking an eternal punishment in the span of six hours. The only way he could do that is if he is God. And then he died. And then three days later, death did not have the last word because Jesus rose from the dead. Imagine that. Breath returns to his lungs. He gets up and he can't help it. Ladies, ladies, I'm here. He, he is alive. And he ascends to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me right now. That's the good news. Now, for it to become good news for me, for you, for us, we have to respond. And I'm going to get to how to respond in just a minute. But if you're listening to me this morning and you've never had a time, just you and God, where you asked Jesus to save you, then I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. It's not magical. It's not, it's not I don't have the power to convert anyone, but it's something that I would invite you as giving you a present that you could trust Jesus and know your sins are forgiven forever. Now, some of you have been Christians for a while. I'm not going to go around and ask, how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? Not going to do that. But Jesus still has you here on planet Earth. And he still has us here, those of us who are Christians, for a purpose. And that purpose is summarized helpfully in making disciples, which I have told you means helping someone follow Jesus. But how do you do that? How do you actually help somebody follow Jesus? You know, if we were to talk about how a disciple is made, I cannot make a disciple. I can't 
mix in all the right ingredients and say, all right, I've done it all, and bam, there's new Christian, right? It takes the Holy Spirit to convert someone, to give that new birth. But God allows me to be part of this beautiful job of making a disciple. And the first thing I am called to do is very simple and very hard. It's to love someone else, to love them, to treat them the way I want to treat it, to so treat them that they are blessed. Love is a commitment to another person's best interest, where best gets defined by God. So I want to ask you this week, what would it take for you to love somebody, to treat them in such a way that they go, hey, that person really loves me. Let's take a a step back for just a minute. I want you to imagine uh, a friend, or or maybe it's a stranger, does something for you. And, And whatever it is, is so striking, you can't help but know I think they really care about me. I I, I think they are genuinely being my friend. I would imagine if if we went around and shared that every of us would have just a little bit of a different flavor of what that very caring action looks like. Some of you, it may be that that friend remembered that this week is your birthday and they got you just a, a very considerate present, you know? Um, you, you, you know, my birthday's coming up, and just, just letting you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, maybe you're the type that you know somebody loves you when they just show up, and they, they are there to spend time with just you. Cell phones off, no interruptions. They're there to give you focused quality time. Maybe they're type, like, I, I wonder, I, I had a neighbor last night, he, uh, well, it's actually more his wife, if the truth be told, but was putting in a new planter bed, and I said it to him, it looks really nice, and he said, well, I'll let you help if you'd like, <laughs> and uh, I think he, like some of us, may be some kind of service, right? Y- your garage needs cleaned out, or you're going on a move, and some people just show up to help you clean up or to unload boxes or to mow the lawn and and you're just like, man, that person loves me. Maybe it's the person who just comes and and can look you in the eye and say those choice encouraging words you need to hear. Hey, I, I see you. You're doing a good job. Here's why. It's not flattery. They're not selling you something. They're not trying to get something from you, but they just encourage you with the right words. All of us have a little bit different way that that we receive love. But my challenge to you this week is to pray and ask God to lead you to someone, and and not just somebody in your immediate family, but that you can show love to. Now, if you're you're a guy and you're like, I don't want this to be awkward, romantic love. I don't mean that. I don't mean Hollywood's version of love. I mean, serve somebody. I mean, encourage somebody. I mean, just go be with somebody. Someone. I mean, help someone out. Go out of your way. I, I met a gentleman who retired uh, from the Army uh, about a week ago, and, and you know, just a, a really neat man to meet. And there was a soldier once who needed a ride to, to get to battle assembly. And this soldier, uh, the man I met, drove, um, you know, over three hours one way to pick up the soldiers so that they could be at battles. I mean, when, when somebody asks, you know, why, 
why did you do that? You didn't have to do that. He just kind of shrugged and said, well, they're my friend. They wanted to be at drill, and so I went and picked them up. I mean, that's, that's love, right? Uh, that, that meant so much that that person would go out of the way and do that. I want you to hear these words again. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus has left Christians here to make disciples, and what many people need to see from Christians first is that we are capable of love so that they believe us when we say, God loves you. Now, the verse concludes this way. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now Paul gets personal, right? Up to this point, the saying could be taken as the most incredible fact of history. Uh, But now Paul's talking about his own sin. Now we got to talk about my sin, about your sin, about where you have fallen short of what God had planned for you in your life. If you remember from Acts chapter 9, Paul, before he was a Christian, was not a nice dude. Paul hated Christians. He was raised in a very zealous sect of Judaism. He was raised as a Pharisee and was convinced that Christianity was a cult a heretical cult, deviating from what was the pure religion. And he was there uh, when this young man, Stephen, who was preaching that Jewish people needed to convert and give their lives to Jesus. Paul was there at that time known as Saul when Stephen was killed for, for his preaching. And Saul went right along with it, held the coats of those who were killing Stephen. And, and then fast forward a, a few chapters and Uh, the persecution has gotten so bad that Christians have had to flee Jerusalem. And some went to a town called Damascus and uh, Saul hears about it. And so he goes to the leaders of the church and say, tell you what, you give me letters that gives me authority and I'll go and I'll arrest those Christians and we will bring them back here and we will make sure they stand trial for their crimes. And so Saul has a, a group of people with him and he's on this road heading up to Damascus when... Jesus appears to him. And if you remember the story, it's incredible. There's this bright light. Uh, Everybody else just remembers the light, but Saul remembers the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting those Christians out there? No, 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 not that. Why are you persecuting nice people? No, 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 that's not what he said. Why are you persecuting me? This risen Savior comes and appears to this man who thinks he's quite religious and says, you are killing me, because Jesus so identifies with Christians in his church that he could say, Saul, you're persecuting me. And from that day, Saul becomes a Christian. Later, he becomes known as Paul. Later, he becomes a pastor. Later, he becomes probably still the best-known missionary outside of Jesus Christ. This is Paul. And, And so how could he say, I am the worst Christian? The foremost would be in some contexts, saying, um, I'm number one, as in uh, everybody's standing in line. This is the first person, the second, the third. In this context, it means I'm number one, as in I'm the worst. I'm the chief sinner. I, I'm the president of sin, is what Paul is saying. How, how could he say that? I mean, in history, right, you got Stalin, you got Hitler. 
I mean, really, the, the stuff we read about was, seemed bad, but, but how does it stack up, um, I mean, to some of the worst men in history? I think Paul said this because he knows his own heart. He knows how much Jesus forgave him of. Think about that. There's a man in history named John Bunyan, and he wrote a book that was his own conversion story called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, taken right from 1 Timothy 1.15. The subtitle is A Brief Relation of the Exceeding Mercy of God in Christ to His Poor Servant, John Bunyan. Now, John Bunyan didn't grow up a Christian. He actually grew up uh, early 1600s in England, very, very poor. Uh, his dad was a traveling merchant uh, tinkerer and so sold uh, the things that he made. Very uh, poor upbringing and, and got himself into a lot of trouble. Uh, Bunyan would say that nobody could outcuss him uh, and, and from a very early age got into a lot of mischief. Um, throughout his life, uh, he, he had all kinds of struggles and I'm going to read to you a little bit of Bunyan's own words, but remember how I was telling you at the beginning of the service that Alexander and Hymenaeus might have heard some dangerous words, things like, you have sinned so much that God can't love you anymore, or maybe you've done that unpardonable sin and blasphemed the Holy Spirit, or maybe you want to be saved, but God doesn't want you because you're not one of the elect, or uh, maybe Jesus is just a man, and he, he died, and he never rose from the grave, or, or maybe the other religions have it right, and you should explain. Bunyan struggled with every one of these. Uh, it took him around 10 years to convert and become a Christian. He, he wrestled with it all, but listen to what Bunyan says in his own words. He says, it was Paul's accustomed manner when tried for his life to open before his judges the manner of his conversion. He would think of that day and that hour in which he first did meet with grace, for he found it supported him. And then Bunyan thinks of his own journey, and he says, oh, the remembrance of my great sins, of my great temptations, of my great fear of perishing forever. They bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of my great help, my great supports from heaven, and the great grace that God extended to such a wretch as I. And then he charges us. He says, remember, I say, the word that first laid hold upon you. Remember your terrors of conscience and fear of death and hell. Remember also your tears and prayers to God. Yea, how you sighed under every hedge of mercy. Bunyan would think back on what did it take for God to make him a Christian. And he said this, that God was pleased to take this course with me. First, to suffer me to be afflicted with temptations concerning them, and then reveal them unto me as sometimes I should lie under great guilt for sin, even crushed to the ground therewith. And then the Lord would show me the death of Christ. Yea, so sprinkle my conscience with his blood that I should find, and that before I was aware, and that in conscience were where just now did reign and rage the law, even there would rest and abide the peace and love of God through Christ. For John Bunyan, he needed to become convinced that God loved him, that Jesus loved him. 
And God did this through a number of just incredible things. He got connected with a Bible study, but you'll think this is funny. He got connected with a women's only Bible study in Bedford, England. He was walking one day and there were some ladies having an impromptu Bible study out on their front porch and they let John Bunyan join. And they told him about how much God loved him. And they even let him join as he would travel through. So there was the women's Bible study with John Bunyan and, and he heard about God's love and eventually got connected with a pastor, a Mr. Gifford, who taught him from the Bible how much God loved him. And that's what it took over 10 years for John Bunyan to become a Christian. Now, if you know anything about Bunyan, he wrote a little book when later he was in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, the book is called The Pilgrim's Progress. And outside of the Bible, it's probably the best-selling book of all time. If you're a Christian and you've never read it, you've missed out. It is a beautiful story of what it looks like to follow Christ throughout the journey of the Christian life. Now, I say this because each of us has to get to a point where we can say with Paul, we can say with John Bunyan, no, 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 no. When it comes to sin, I'm the worst. You don't know my heart. You don't know where I'd be apart from Jesus. You don't know how much of a wreck I would make of my life were it not for the grace God has shown me. I mean, think about it for just a minute. What would you be doing right now if you didn't believe there was a God? If you didn't believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, the only one through whom we can be saved? What would your life be like? If I'm honest... I wouldn't be married to this beautiful woman because she would never have married a non-Christian man. She's too wise for that. I wouldn't have these wonderful kids because I wouldn't be married to her. And if I did, by some grace, I probably would have made a mess out of my marriage. Probably would not be able to hold a job well because I probably wouldn't be all that trustworthy. I'd be very selfish and I'd be very lonely. Probably have to do a lot to distract myself from how lonely I was. You see... Christ Jesus has changed everything for me. And if you've been following Christ, you know the same thing. If it wasn't for Jesus, you would not be a tenth as happy as you were. You would have the fear ultimately of hell hanging over your head. But in Jesus Christ, it changes everything. When we pray here in just a few minutes, if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to use that time to just talk to Jesus specifically about the sins you've been struggling with. I don't mean uh, when we pray, you just say, hey, Jesus, you're right, I've sinned. Thank you for your forgiveness. I mean specifically, what about Monday? What about Tuesday? What about Wednesday this past week? Where have you not lived up to the command to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself? Use this time when we pray to tell them about that. Now, some of you, may hear these words that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and you've never taken that leap of faith where you actually trust Jesus and know his forgiveness. I want to tell you what will happen if you become a Christian. Becoming a Christian means everything will change, right? You will not want the same things as time goes on. Becoming a Christian means you're not in charge of your life. You sign up for Jesus to be your Lord, your general, the one in charge. He gives the orders you follow. 
Becoming a Christian means your friends, at least some of them, will likely think you've gone nuts. You drank the Kool-Aid. Something happened. You don't want to do the same things with it anymore. You, you're no fun or whatever it is. Becoming a Christian will think that some of your friends think you've gone nuts. Becoming a Christian means you become a bigger target for the enemy. Satan or the devil will try to discourage you, to convince you that you aren't really a Christian, to get you away from Jesus. He'll tempt you, and then he'll accuse you. He'll lead you to sin and then to despair. Becoming a Christian means you must learn how to fight. Becoming a Christian means you will need to go public with your faith. At Redemption Church, we practice believer's baptism, this symbol even done by Jesus to go under the water and come up as a, a new person, so identified with Jesus. It's not that the waters save you. It's that they symbolize the work the Holy Spirit has already done, just like this wedding ring symbolizes the woman I'm married to. Some might say, well, well, it's just a symbol. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to the wife who notices that her husband is leaving the wedding ring at home when he's going on a long vacation about it being just a symbol, right? It doesn't go over very well. If I said, hey, babe, why don't you hold on to this for me while I go away for two weeks? It would not go very well. This is a powerful symbol. And when you become a Christian, at some point you're going to need to obey Jesus' command to go public, to get baptized and tell the world, I am a follower of Jesus. The old me is dead. The new me is now alive. Becoming a Christian also means joining a local church. At Redemption, we hope you join with us. If you're attending here, absolutely, you're welcome. That is totally allowed. And we would hope at some point that you would decide to go from being an observer to being one of us. You've given your life to Jesus and you've joined this local body. And you can talk with me or Pastor Wes or anyone here that is a member about what it means to join redemption. And finally, becoming a Christian means you have a hope for eternity that no one, not even death, can steal. Right? You have something that is ironclad, a guarantee from Jesus that he will come back and that you will be with him forever, and that he will be with you until that time. That is a promise that will carry you through many difficult days. So what's it going to be? There are those of you listening that have never taken that step. I'm going to pray. You say, I want to take that step. I want to trust Jesus. What do you do? Three little words, A, B, C. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose from the dead and commit to follow him all your life. Just pray quietly to yourself. And if you want to come forward, I'll hang out down here. It's not to pressure anybody, but I would be glad to pray with you. If you have had one of those weeks where you just need someone to pray with you, please come on down. I, I would be really privileged to pray with you. Um, Pastor Wes will come up here and he will play some music. Uh, and, and if you remember are one of those Christians that you've walked with Jesus for a while, use this time to pray, talk to the Lord about your sins, and just remember how much God loves you in Jesus. You're not a Christian. I invite you to pray and trust in Jesus and then come forward. Let me, let me have that privilege of just talking and encouraging with, with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you because you love us. We thank you because we know that you love us because of what lengths you went to prove that. 
You demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus, you died for us. God, you sent your son into the world knowing that what it would take to forgive us is we would have to have someone stand in our place. It would mean the death of your son for us to be saved. Jesus, don't let anyone here be convinced that you don't love them. Don't let anyone leave here wondering, well, well, am I too far gone? God, help them to see that if they are breathing, they're not too far gone. God, don't let anybody think that their ability to sin can overpower or arm wrestle your ability to show us grace and to forgive us. Whatever the excuses, whatever the words that have kept people from you, I just pray in Jesus' name that you tear them down right now. Help them to cling to these words that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Let them taste and see that you are good. God, hear the prayers going on in this place right now. I just beg you, Jesus, to hear us and to do a work in our midst. I ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.